Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 73 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, we take a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic, literally going into the weeds. This week, we take a look at the compliance scandal around the Dallas Mavericks and the uh, report by Sports Illustrated of rampant sexual harassment in the front office of that organization. We consider it from the cultural perspective, the organizational perspective, and the failures that allowed this type of activity to occur literally at the very top levels of the organization. We consider the uh, call by the company for a new chief compliance officer and how that role should be fulfilled and who it should report to. It's a fascinating exploration of the Me Too movement in sporting organizations. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the only compliance podcast that takes a deep dive, literally going into the weeds for a compliance or compliance-related topic. And today, we finally either evolve or devolve into everyone's favorite topic, sex. And uh, as it happens with uh, in conjunction with the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, Matt really uh, had an interesting blog post today about entitled Dallas Mavericks Scramble on Compliance and, of course, tying it into compliance. So, Matt, you want to set the stage for us and then we can uh, really take a deep dive into this, baby? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I guess the, the lead for all of you listening here is anybody who's looking for a cool new job in ethics and compliance, uh, the Dallas Mavericks are hiring a chief ethics and compliance officer. They posted that job sometime last week, and uh, I do have a link to it on the post I wrote about uh, the Mavericks. But this stems from the really damning expose that Sports Illustrated published about the Dallas Mavericks uh, at the end of November. Uh, I'm sorry, at the end of February. Um, They took a deep look at what apparently was many years of a dysfunctional culture Stop us if you've heard of this before, ladies and gentlemen, but a deeply dysfunctional culture where senior executives were committing sexual harassment and other types of misconduct, workplace bullying um, against female employees. And that ultimately led to several executives leaving the team. And particularly once Sports Illustrated published this expose about what was going on at the Mavericks, uh, the owner, Mark Cuban, had he fired a few more people. Uh, instituted new training, a new whistleblower hotline, I believe, is coming in. And then they posted this chief ethics and compliance officer role. No word on what the salary is. uh, But nonetheless, clearly now the Mavericks are doing, I suppose, what you'd call a full court press to uh, remedy this very warped culture that we have come to see at the Mavericks and at many other places. Um, This really, in a larger extent, you know, this, this is not news anymore that a big company uh, has oversized egos committing this kind of misconduct, and here we are. Sure, and the the conduct was really as horrific as uh, probably uh, any other scandal we've seen, Matt. We had the uh, general manager, uh, whose name I'm going to butcher, nevertheless try, Terdima Usuri. Um, yes. <laughs> or uh, moniker T inside the organization. Uh T uh, uh, is quoted in the Sports Illustrated piece as uh, going up to a woman on her first day and asking her if she's going to be gang banged over the weekend. 
And uh, frankly, I can't imagine a much worse introduction to your uh, new uh, CEO than to ask if you're going to be gang banged. But they also had uh, uh, situations where uh, his conduct was complained of to HR. Uh, HR either said uh, we can't do anything, didn't do anything, or actually uh, uh, chastised and retaliated against the whistleblowers for bringing the conduct forward. And the one that uh, is further down the chain in terms of hierarchy, but perhaps even more troubling, Matt, was the uh, the beat writer, uh, Mavericks beat writer, who actually sexually assaulted and physically uh, abused, assaulted uh, his girlfriend to the point where he uh, pled guilty and he could not uh, travel to Canada with the team because of his sexual assault conviction uh, mm-hmm. and he was not terminated. Now, uh, both the head of HR and the uh, this particular other individual, Mr. Sneed, I think, uh, were terminated after the expose came out. Uh, and then uh, the other point, uh, two other points, uh, one was that we talked about a little bit in uh, pre uh, our, our um, discussions before the podcast started. The uh, Sports Illustrated article made it abundantly clear that the female employees actually felt safer inside the locker room with the players. They said that was a place of safety for them and that the players were really nothing but gentlemen to them. And it wasn't Animal House till they went back out and um, got into the office. Uh, the, uh, the second thing was the uh, Mark Cuban. Uh, anyone who follows pro basketball knows about Mark Cuban. He is a uh, twice billionaire. Uh, he made $2 uh, billion sales uh, back in the 90s uh, of tech companies. Uh, first to Yahoo, and I can't remember the second one, uh, PayPal, I think. Uh, and then he bought the Mavericks uh, at a young age in his 30s, uh, was a very controversial uh, kind of new breed owner, and was uh, a self-possessed um, or self, uh, self-actuated to be involved with everything. And uh, literally to the point where I can remember reading Sports Illustrated pieces where he was involved with the selection of the carpet for the players' lounge, uh, selection of the chairs, uh, selection of the video players that would be at each player's locker. locker. And frankly, for him not to know that this was going on over a period of 15 years, I find completely disingenuous. Uh, nevertheless, um, he has claimed that he was only involved on the basketball side of things. He wasn't involved on the financial side, uh, even though he was a twice over billionaire. And that uh, after he found out about this through his uh, the calls by Sports Illustrated reporters for comment, uh, he terminated the head of HR. He terminated the uh, employee who had physically assaulted uh, his girlfriend and it instituted some of the um, changes that you uh, articulated there. So uh, really a lot here to to um, unpack, but the thing that I really enjoyed, well, I enjoyed your whole piece because it was just great, but you really uh, laid it out for um, the three hallmarks of bad culture. So I I wanted to see if maybe you could take us through that from your perspective. Yeah, you know, I got to thinking about this because as I was reading the details of what the Mavericks did wrong, uh, where they went astray, you know, the, the details, uh, to a certain extent for compliance officers, they don't matter because the broad story, we have heard this before. Big, powerful CEO takes liberties with younger female employees with less power, um, investigations, no discipline, and other executives who then start covering for the senior executives rather than calling them out. Like, How often have we heard this? We heard this with Fox News and Bill O'Reilly. 
heard it with Weinstein Company and Harvey Weinstein. We heard it with Charlie Rose and his show on PBS. We heard it just a couple of weeks ago. You and I were talking, I think, about Steve Wynn and Wynn Resorts. Like, we're going to hear about it again with somebody else, I am sure. So really, this boils down to what I think are three bad practices that somehow manifest in your organization. And number one really is these unchecked senior executives, you know, the larger than life guys, and they are guys um, who, as I say here, like they dazzle their peers and superiors with what might be possible on the business end. And by dazzling the peers and superiors, that gives them more cover to harass and abuse the subordinates. And I think that is a big problem that people need to be aware of. And that gets to what uh, Tom, you and I talked about before with Steve Wynn, uh, is the need for independent checks, governance structures around these larger-than-life executives so that they can't do this. Um, and when they do try to do something like this, it triggers some sort of extra oversight or investigation or discipline automatically. And we don't see enough of that. Um, the second thing that stuck out at me also is that we see constantly, we see these flawed reporting mechanisms. And particular to the Mavericks, what stood out was that early in Mr. Ussery's arrival and tenure at the Mavericks. He arrived in 1997 as CEO, and by 1998, the company was doing an investigation into harassment complaints women had made about him. Less than a year. But what did they do is that the Mavericks brought in a senior HR director who, in theory, was going to keep an eye on the CEO, Ussery. Uh, they even put the HR guy within earshot of his office so that he might overhear anything that might be said. However, on a practical basis, when employees then continued to complain now to HR, what's the sense of reporting complaints to HR about the CEO when HR works for the CEO? Doesn't It doesn't stick. Uh, this is why I keep saying, and Tom, you do too, chief ethics and compliance officer needs to be independent so that you have that mechanism that if people don't know where else to go, it's the CEO. I am in such trouble for raising this. Who can I talk to? You can talk to this person who is an arm's remove from all the rest of the organization, including the CEO. Even if it's not the compliance officer, maybe it is some sort of outsourced, uh, I don't know, outside counsel who keeps an eye on these things. Theoretically, it could be the independent uh, internal auditor because the auditor also answers directly to the board of directors, not to anybody else. You know, these external mechanisms rather than an internal mechanism that brings the complaint right back to somebody who answers to the CEO or the executive in question. Um, and that's a big problem. And then I, th I think that the third function dysfunction that exists is a product of these first two, the unchecked senior executive, and you don't have any means to report misconduct about him or her because it ultimately filters back to him or her. Uh, that leads to this culture of retaliation and protection. Um, when other mid-level executives see that the reporting mechanisms work to protect the CEO or to let the CEO intervene and protect himself, they get the message and they start to protect the CEO as well. There was a great example in the Mavericks, um, in the Sports Illustrated piece, where one woman who had been harassed by the CEO, Ussery, she reported her concerns to the vice president of marketing. However, he took 
the CEO's side. And uh, apparently he either bullied her or harassed her himself or something like that. That's the allegation. Um, but th why wouldn't the VP of marketing kind of default to that? Because he sees that you know, the CEO is a very powerful person. The po CEO gets to intercept these complaints because there's no way to bring them to somebody who can do something about them. So these other mid-level executives kind of buy into this culture of protection rather than the speak-up culture and one of accountability. So that that's the three, is these unchecked senior executives, flawed reporting mechanisms, and they combine to lead to this culture of protection that just festers rather than turning over the rock and getting all of the, the bad stuff out there. And that's what we need. You know, we probably should have thrown this in at the start, Matt, but uh, the, uh, Mr. Ussery, the former uh, CEO, uh, left uh, the Mavericks in 2015 and went to be a uh, vice president at Under Armour, and he left there within 60 days, obviously not realizing that uh, he'd gone, he was no longer in Kansas. Um, so kudos to uh, you know, Under Armour. Also worth noting, Under Armour, I have heard anecdotally, you know, it seems to be that Under Armour takes these things seriously. I know they've got a good compliance officer there who's thoughtful. I am not surprised. I'm not necessarily saying that these two and two do equal four, that they pushed him out right away. But uh, all signs point to, yes, when Ussery bumped, bumped into an organization that did take ethics and compliance seriously, he got shown the door within, like you said, within 60 days. So the, um, I guess, Matt, I'd like to turn maybe now to we've had a significant um, scandal in the NBA regarding Donald Sterling and his alleged uh, racial epithets that he utilized. Last fall, we heard or read rather about the owner of the Carolina Panthers, Jerry Richardson, who was uh, accused of inappropriate behavior as well. And he is now selling his interest in the Panthers. And now we have the Mavericks with uh, clearly one of the most high-profile owner owners in any sports uh, for his work on Shark Tank, his work as an, an NBA owner, and a variety of other reasons. Um, when is corporate America going to get the message that, guys, this is a risk and you need to go back and see if you have a problem? I mean, Cuban is quoted in the SI piece as saying, oh, yeah, I asked my HR uh, head, do we have a problem? Uh, that just seems to me to be almost an inexcusable um, way to, to handle a situation that is firmly in the public eye. And even after the Oscars last night, perhaps even more in the public eye. You know, that's a fair point. And I have mixed views about how responsible Mark Cuban is or is not for this mess. And I appreciate that at a certain ultimate level he's the owner of the team he's responsible for it uh but when he says look i really just pay attention to the basketball and i don't really care much about the business and i trust the other people to do that for me like, if you assume that mark cuban is a self-obsessed jerk who only cares about what he cares about and not everything else that's a believable excuse and you know it is believable that cuban is a self-obsessed jerk who really only cares about whatever matters to him so there is a scenario where I can take him at face value when he says he didn't really know that. Now, there's another scenario where I say, give me a break, you know, because you do seem to obsess about a lot of really arcane things. And, you know, clearly the team had a prolonged period with this problem. Um, but as soon as he had no choice except to deal with this head on, so far dealing with it head on, Cuban has taken all the appropriate steps. Um, 
I would be very curious to know, and if any listeners to, uh, to this podcast, if you actually go and get this job with the Dallas Mavericks, please let Tom and I know, who do you report to? Because if this ethics and compliance officer reports to the Mavericks general counsel or even the CEO, I don't know that that's good enough because that doesn't really break the pattern that we've seen. Now, I suspect that Cuban is going to give whoever gets this job his personal cell phone number and say, call me night or day because I don't want this blowing up in my face anymore. Um, we shall see. But I, I do think that there is a dawning of awareness I think there was already an awareness among very large publicly traded companies that there are, for lack of a better word, politically correct views that they're going to need to take. You can't take a pro-retaliation or I don't care attitude towards sexual misconduct anymore. And I think large publicly traded firms get that because they have a duty to investors to make sure people don't get upset and dump the stock or launch boycotts or whatever. Now we're seeing it trickle down to non-public companies like the Dallas Mavericks and many other pro sports teams. Um, we're going to see them continually start to think more about what is the public appetite for our stance on various issues. Um, I didn't mean to bring this up, but we might as well, that we've seen a lot of companies in the last several weeks uh, cut ties with anything to do with the National Rifle Association We've seen them. Pay, some of them pay a price for that from pro NRA people. Um, but, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, Land's End, which I didn't even know Land's End sold some things that were related to the gun industry, but apparently they do. Um, we've seen Delta get squeezed both ways, that uh, it cut off its subsidies for travel for the NRA members. And now uh, Republican lawmakers in various states are trying to punish Delta with taking away tax breaks. Like, it's not an easy position for companies today, but... They can't ignore these things. Now, some of them are a whole lot more gray than sexual harassment, which is, you know, like I said, you can't take a pro-harassment view, but uh, this is not the last time we're going to see big companies go through all of this. And uh, with harassment in particular, I think, like I said, you've got to take a look at do you have these three hallmarks of a bad culture? Are they going to lead to a company being in a place it doesn't want to be in? And how can it break that? Uh, and compliance officers or a strong compliance function, they play a critical role in making sure you can break those three bad habits before you wind up in a place like the Dallas Mavericks or any of the other businesses we've already mentioned today. So let me just uh, polish up on a nugget you put in put in that uh, last section, Matt, which you're absolutely spot on that I'd like to explore, which is who does the CCO report to? And uh, can you be an effective CCO if uh, the person you're investigating can fire you? Um, now, we're not alluding here to Donald Trump uh, firing uh, Robert Mueller. That's not where we're going with this. No. But with um, certainly uh, in this case, I think you're absolutely spot on. The CCO has to report to Cuban, and it really points out uh, why that uh, if – uh, a culture is so inbred with what you call, uh, quote, a grab-happy creep, great line, by the way, end quote, um, you can't have a CCO reporting to a general counsel because uh, if that culture is imbued with uh, such grab-happiness, you're not ever going to be able to get the information up to the owner or up to the board of directors uh, before it bursts out into the public domain uh, via something like Sports Illustrated. 
Yeah. Like you and I have said many times before, the mission of the general counsel and the mission of the compliance officer are not the same. Uh, They overlap sometimes, but sometimes they are really opposed to each other. The general counsel's job is to reduce legal liability for the company. So if you got an allegation of some sort of serious misconduct, one very valid way to reduce that liability is to pay off the person who got her rear end groped or something like that. Um, But that's not what the compliance officer's mission is. The compliance officer's mission is to cultivate good conduct. And sometimes that's going to mean biting the bullet, getting rid of that star employee who is a grab-happy creep. And I think most employees would like that. But a lot of senior executives, that's a difficult pill for them to swallow. And that's why having these positions be one and the same or having compliance answer into the general counsel, I don't see that as a feasible scenario for a lot of the, the worst kind of situations. And this is bad. Um, you know, maybe there are some easier situations around, I don't know, product liability or other sort of very nuanced regulatory compliance. Maybe then it will work. But for the really tough stuff, if you have compliance answering the legal or they are one and the same, that's going to lead to a mess. And we have seen it before and before, and we will see it again and again. Although not explored in your piece, because it's really outside, I think, the uh, specific subject that you were uh, discussing today, Matt, I've often wondered why uh, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball teams don't have a FCPA compliance specialist because of all the international work they do. Why they don't have a trade control specialist, because they're certainly shipping things outside of the United States and importing them into the United States. So maybe the uh, chief compliance officer uh, position at... Uh, the Dallas Mavericks could incorporate some of those uh, glaring omissions as well. Fair point to raise. And as the NFL and NBA and other pro sports teams, as they pursue their dreams of conquering the world, and culturally they they certainly could because everybody knows who these teams and these franchises are. Like that's, I mean that that's not a far fetched scenario to to pose. Well, Matt, as always, a uh, fascinating exploration. Of- Matt Kelly and I have been going into the weeds today about the uh, Dallas Mavericks scramble in compliance. Uh, is there trouble in Dallas? Uh, what will be the result? And will Mark Cuban continue onward? So, Matt, as always, uh, great fun and look forward to uh, seeing what next week will bring us. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to our podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. Also, if you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week where Matt Kelly and I will take a deep dive exploration, literally going into the weeds on a compliance topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.